since we began Advent, we have been traveling spiritually to Bethlehem. The Virgin Mary had nine months of Advent, nine months to prepare herself. And we have three weeks left, so we need to take advantage. And there is a promise for each one of us that the more we prepare ourselves, the more we will receive at Christmas. The most important thing is not the gifts, but preparing ourselves, preparing a dwelling place for this newborn baby. And last Sunday, we started walking through Advent, and Father Joseph invited us to reflect how stories matter, how Advent is a good moment to realize that our small story is part of a much broader story, that we feel in an amazing and victorious story where it's not I, but Jesus, the center of that story. And today, in this second Sunday of Advent, the gospel invites us to stop in the desert. The desert, by definition, is a place of contrast. It is extremely hot during the day and super cold at night. But today's reading suggests not a contrast of climate, but a spiritual contrast, a much deeper contrast. And it's a contrast that today we find between John the Baptist and the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees, we could say they are the paradigms of spiritual complacency. They represent that attitude of those of us that are comfortable and happy with ourselves. They felt observant. They were doing things for others. They felt even that they could sacrifice for others. But they were tempted to feel superior to others. And the clearest sign of their spiritual complacency is that it seemed that no one could question their status quo. It seemed that the word of God could not confront them, that the law and the prophets, no matter who would show up, they wouldn't change their criteria, they wouldn't change their lifestyle. They had closed themselves. They had rationalized the way of living their faith. And that's why there were no radical decisions in their lives. There were no turning points. There were no discontinuities. There were not really conversions in their lives. There was no an element of risk in their lives. Their complacency had numbed their consciousness. But on the other side, today we meet John the Baptist. He was an attractive figure. People, it says, we heard today from all over the region would go and see this man. He was a different man. There was something special about him. And we could say that his entire life, where he started his ministry, the desert, but the way he dressed, his food, but and above all, his message, spoke of an opposite attitude, not of complacency, but of discontent. John the Baptist's life, his whole being was an amazing and a very straightforward message. 
We are not as well as we should be. That was his message. Our generation is not giving glory to God. He felt that the Messiah was coming. He knew that the kingdom was at hand. But he could see that the people of God, the chosen people, that people meant to be a dwelling place for God, was not ready. And that's why his message is really straightforward. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he sees the Pharisees and Sadducees, he says to them, you brood of vipers, produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. So here we see a man that is suffering because the Pharisees and Sadducees are not glorifying God. They presume to be converted, but John the Baptist is denouncing that they are not producing authentic fruits. And that's why he says, produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. Even more, he says, do not presume to say yourself, we have Abraham as our father. So the fire of this man, of John the Baptist, comes from a certain discontent. We could call it a holy discontent. And I think this is the conversion to which the Lord is inviting all of us in this Sunday. To repent if there's any spirit of complacency in our lives. And that's why maybe the first question I want to post in the name of Jesus is, what attitude represents us more? Either that of complacency or we feel a holy discontent, a desire to change. This content for the word of God can have a very positive aspect because it's a strength that can push us really to first reform ourselves and, and to want to influence the environment around us. The word reform means to recover the form. It means that something, the original, has been lost and we need to fight to recover that form. And I think that the opposite reaction and, and, and really common and easy reaction when we see that things are not going the way we think they should is discouragement. It's very easy to choose just discouragement. Okay, I'm not doing as well as I should be doing. Our culture is not glorifying God, it's obvious. The church is not doing as well as it could be. My family is not doing good as well as it could be. Well, although we can recognize that, today we are invited to the opposite attitude, the authentic Christian reaction. It's like a holy discontent. And the history of the church is on our side. It is really inspiring to verify that the greatest reforms in the history of the church have arisen from a holy discontent, from a conviction that things could not remain the, the way they, they were at that moment. The true reformers are the saints, those that from the inside and not accusing, but thinking that they are part also of the solution, they struggle to reform themselves and hopefully to inspire others on that direction. And I will just share a couple of examples to make the point. Acts 17 speaks out St. Paul. 
It's really a passage that touches my heart. Paul arrives to Athens, and he's waiting for his companion. And he doesn't lose time. He starts just looking. He's an apostle there. And he believes the Lord will use him in the meantime. And he starts seeing pagan temples, pagan altars. He sees incense that is burned to many idols. And suddenly he feels a fire. And God, where is God in this city? And that moves him, if you read Acts 17, to start preaching boldly. And he gets some conversions. But he was ignited by holy discontent. This cannot be it. This city needs to glorify God. A couple of centuries later, a man called Benedict from a wealthy family moves to Rome. And he arrives and he knew pretty well the city where Paul and Peter had given their lives, the city of so many martyrs. And suddenly he finds this city full of vanity. Catholicism had shrunk. There was no really devotion. And he says, this cannot be it. And so he moves to Subiaco, a part of Italy, and he starts a reformation, the Benedictine Reformation. A couple of centuries later, a famous teacher from Paris, Bruno, he realizes that the, that university is not giving glory to Jesus, that they are just trying to like, go up the ladder. And he says, this cannot be it. And so he goes to a desert place and he founds the most radical order in the Catholic Church, the Carthusian monks. A couple of centuries later, a man named Bernard, he sees medieval Europe that is, is not glorifying God and he says, we need to reform this. And he joins the sister and really changes the whole Europe. Fast forward a couple of centuries, a man named Karol Voktila he feels a holy discontent for, uh, against the, na the Nazi regime. He says, we need to react. And some people are taking the arms. And he says, no, we need to protect the culture. We need to protect the faith. And later on, he becomes JP2. A woman from Albania that was living in, in India, Loreto, she goes for an annual retreat. And she finds a poverty that she had never experienced before. Not only material poverty, but spiritual poverty. And she, she feels a holy discontent. And that's Mother Teresa, and she starts the, the Sisters of Charity, and so on. So I'm not expecting that we should flee to a desert or any radical thing tonight. But maybe to ponder that these examples confirm that there are times where disappointment, where discontent, where a certain level of frustration are not completely bad. Instead, they can be signs of the Holy Spirit. They can be a first movement of the Holy Spirit. It, should be a, it would be a bad sign, on the contrary, that we are accustomed to live in sin, that we get used to a mediocre spiritual life, that we get accustomed to be selfish, to have lacks of charity, or perhaps we get accustomed to just doing certain prayers, but not being transformed by a life in spirit. But if, on the contrary, suddenly tonight, moved by the spirit in this mass, we say, there must be something else. I can do better. 
I can influence my family. I can influence my friends. I must break this habit. I must take a time from this relationship. If I can say as John, I must, I must put the ax at the root of the tree tonight. If I say today I can no longer live a mediocre life, I cannot waste my time anymore, my gifts that are there. Blessed discontent, if we feel this tonight, that would be a holy discontent. It would feel unpleasant at the beginning to recognize it, but transformative if we react upon it. This was the secret of John the Baptist, of Paul, of Benedict, of Prune, of Bernard, of JP2, of Mother Teresa. Imagine what would be of this community of Sanans, of the Ark, of AU, if those of us here, we feel a holy discontent. If we leave this mass saying, Lord, I want to be reformed, that would be a revolution. That will ignite something new. So how to move this week from complacency to a holy discontent? A handy means, and that would be our spiritual homework, is to choose during this week a moment of desert, particularly some minutes of silence. True reforms never started in places of noise, but in places of silence. And silence is the essential, essential mean to listen to Jesus and that he may speak to us and that he may, as a prophet, tell us if there's something that he dislikes from our life, if there's something that we should reform ourselves. It is the first step towards authentic reform. The saints would go to the desert, some literally, but some spiritually, not because they, they like the sand, but they like the silence. And that is what we, I want to invite you and invite myself to seek during this week. I think that's John the Baptist's great advice for each of us. Seek the desert. Do not be afraid of silence. And as a concrete resolution, to be more specific, I want to invite you to make a rule for yourself this week, to take advantage of those moments where you drive, you commute every day. Here, if you drive, you take a bus, you walk either to work, to school, choose this, during this week those minutes of silence. Don't listen to music. Try to take those minutes of silence. And I can give a testimony because Father Joseph is not here, but I remember that when Father Joseph uh, was getting closer to Christ, his car broke, and so his family gave them um, a new car with, uh, with shift, stick shift. So he didn't know how to drive. I hope he's not listening to me. And, and so he put a rule to himself to, for one week, to drive without music so he could listen to the engine and, and to learn how to make, make the gears. And so, th but then he kept that rule. And so for 20 minutes every day, he would commute and, and be in silence. And that was the moment when the, the Lord started speaking to him about his call. And now he's an amazing priest. So I invite you and invite myself, let's go to the desert with John the Baptist tonight. Silence at the beginning may, may be scary, but always after that, we will listen to Jesus. 
and hopefully move from, a holy, from complacency to a holy discontent. And if we experience that, a revolution begins. <laughs>